Welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. I'm talking again today to the laid down lovers. I just can't get. Um, there's I, I think it's going to lead us to a series of messages about um, what kind of are you a wall builder or a temple builder? And so we'll see where it goes, right? So let's just say today I'm starting a new series. Okay. I wanted to I wanted to start today with some foundational truths for us. They're not new. Nothing in the Bible's new. Have you noticed that as are y'all good? Have you noticed that as you're transformed in your mind, things about the word take on new life for you? It was always there. Right. It was always there. I mean, like I've known my life verse since I was in Japan in 1995. And even today with what um, I was telling Keisha, it was just new meaning to it. So I don't know how long ago was 1995. It was longer than some of y'all have been here on the planet. Who was born after 95? Nobody? Just Dave. (laughs) It's been a while ago. How are you doing, Lynn? What are you doing right now? <laughs> um, and so, um, Cece has been reading this series of books, and it's been really interesting. I wanted to give you one little highlight. I think she's going to give you some too. But one of the things she was telling me was that it was taken from a time when uh, Ezra. Uh, and Nehemiah were going to rebuild the temple, right? Nehemiah, Ezra. Yeah, that's where we got the wall and temple thing. Yeah, that was it. And um, but anyway, what was cool was that um, in this book, it's talking about how so many generations forgot what they were born to do. You know, and remember, I think I said a while back about. If you look back at the tribes of Jacob or Israel, that you might discover why you're on the planet. And see, the cool thing about God is that um, he doesn't change his mind about why he put you here. If life is not full of joy and life and ease, then you're probably doing a version of life that isn't what you're born to do and you know I learned in when I took John Paul's study on dreams he talked about um the right hand is what you're born to do and left hand is what you have faith to do and so it so it told me that we could actually live our entire life exercising a form of faith but it really wasn't what we were born to do And I think sometimes we make life harder because we're doing something that we actually have faith to do. Like sometimes it takes faith for you to actually do some of the things you do in life, but it's not really what you were born to do. And so Cece's got a really cool snippet she's going to share with you here in a minute, but One of the things that really was great recently that happened to her while reading this book was 
You know, one of the things that God has to do, especially in someone like Cece, who's been really transparent for y'all, is that she's having to change her mind about every single thing about life. Why she's here, how to do life, what random system that, you know, I'm not doing that. You know, I was born into the kingdom system and my mission became to awaken sons and daughters to who they really, really are. And I'm watching you all. Some of you kind of knew you were here for an assignment. Some of you had no idea that we even had an assignment. You thought it was just to buy a house with the picket fence and live a perfect, like get to the retirement fund and then retire and do what? Nothing. And that wasn't ever his plan. None of the world systems were God's plan. They are all counterfeit, regurgitated versions. And what happens is they pull out a portion of something that looks like truth or wisdom. And then if I have enough faith to believe for that, I buy into that system and I begin to build an entire fortress around a system that never was God. We do it in marriage, we do it in jobs, we do it in relationship, and then we are trying to get the other people in relationship or at my job or in my marriage to buy into this regurgitated version that I'm acting acting like I have this extreme faith for. But we have to remember that God is going to raise up a people who will redefine all of their definitions according to the word and according to the kingdom. And that we will not back down or act like God needs to apologize for the system he made. Why would God anoint something that didn't go through the avenue of being anointed? Why would we want him to anoint us pseudoly, which means falsely, just because I did some actions and I wanted to feel good so that I would get up here and preach again next week. When I, when I move out of my position of anointing and I want him to anoint me for something, he won't do it. I was just talking to Tessa beforehand because I know she really struggled Wednesday and I could tell she struggled Thursday. I saw her Thursday, and she was struggling then. I saw her Friday, she was struggling then. And I'm always trying to help her understand, when you step outside your anointed place, you're going to struggle. It doesn't even matter if she knew it. It's an indicator. God gave us indicators within us to say, you're not in it. Now, aren't you glad? I would just be really glad. Did you know the religious spirit can masquerade as wisdom? You get a bunch of people together and you can operate with the religious spirit and you can feel like you've given out godly wisdom. The, the religious spirit's way smarter than us. Listen, I'm trying to help you today. I'm going to help you. I feel confident that I'm going to help you before today's over. So God keeps giving us these experiences that don't work out. We don't feel great about. Right? When I first started talking with Shudi about worship, I can guarantee you there was a time where she would have felt much better if I'd have just said, you don't ever have to play the keyboard again. Why? 
because it's not a it's it's a it's a place that as a lay down lover she died to what it felt like for her personally to just do what he said and see every single one of us to walk in our anointing if you're going to go through the passage of being a laid down lover, you're going to have to give up something that is that probably took some faith to even get you this far. Right. It's not the goal. The goal isn't to operate with faith, the faith you needed to just keep going, to keep maturing, right? And I think Colossians 3 says it good. Let's, let's just read a couple of scriptures. Excuse me. That donut, I'm sure. Colossians 3 1 it says, Christ's resurrection is your resurrection. Yes. The passageway to being a laid down lover is to realize something about you must die. When we said yes to Jesus, the old Adam nature died but its habits didn't your adam let's just let's just call it what it is your adam nature is your soul and unless your soul dies to its old self your desires won't be jesus's and your assignment is connected to Jesus' desire of you being on the planet. It's really that simple. I know you had other plans. I know that you saw something on Pinterest and you thought, I'll be that. <laughs> Remember, I've been talking about whatever you behold, you become. Right? Watch a little Heartland, I'll be a horse rancher. <laughs> Right? Watch a little Pinterest. We get some tuna. Sidwo swears that that tuna is the best tuna. It doesn't taste any different. I'm just telling you. But that's okay because she wants to believe it tastes different. We are never getting it again, but that's fine. It was a moment in time when we beheld something. And we, do you see, we received what we beheld and we made it. She made that tuna into something amazing. And it's just fish in a can. And listen, we can do that with the anointing. That's why we have, you have to live in a laid-down lover's position your entire life. It's not something you go in and out of. Yeah. One day I feel good, I'm going to just be all down here low. Listen, the Holy Spirit flows to the lowest place. And for His Spirit to flow over me, I've got to be really low. You want... His spirit to breathe over you. And you've got to get really low. And so whatever things you manufactured, part of your whole tension and struggle and pain is giving up something that you just made on your own anyway. He says, this is why we are to yearn for all that is above. What do you think that word yearn feels like? Do we? Do we? Lay down lovers get up every day and just yearn for the kingdom to show up. 
They don't care where they work. They don't care what happened to them in their past. Because stuff happened to everybody and they know it. But lay down lovers are like, everything about me needs to change. And in fact, the change stuff is going to have to change. I'm going to have to learn to get in my position of anointing and I can't let anything get me out of it. Not some memory of the past. Not some lie when I'm PMSing. Nothing gets me out of that position. That means there's no attraction to something that isn't pleasing to him because a laid down lover laid it down. That's why he called it laid, L-A-Y-E-D. Remember I told you it's an old word. It's the way the word was really meant to be said. That sometime in the past, you laid down. And so I don't want to pick up the old habits. He says, we've got to yearn for all that is above. For that's where Christ sits enthroned, at the place of power, honor, and authority. Feast on all the treasures of the heavenly realm and fill your thoughts with heavenly realities and not with the distractions of the natural realm. Moo had a dream. She just told me about in the green room where there was somebody on the platform and they were about to do a trust fall. I didn't even know what that was, so that made me laugh right off the bat. But she found herself at the back having a conversation with somebody and she saw it coming and she was out of position. Now, see, that's either condemning or it's glorious. See, here's what we do. We say we're laid down lovers, but he can't correct us. And I sure can't correct you. See, if I'm a laid down lover, everything needs to be tweaked. I'm not acting like I've arrived. A laid-down lover says, did I do it well? I love Cece. Cece will hardly do anything without asking me, is this God? There's some of us, we just want to do something and we don't want anyone to find out and we sure don't want anybody to ask us if it was God. If I'm a laid-down lover, I'm like always asking. All kinds of people. How do you feel like I did? How'd that go? How'd that go for you? How'd that happen on you? Because why? Lay down lovers know they need to change. Their change needs to change. Whatever got them to this point, they know it is not going to get them right over there. They know this next step, everything over here has to be adjusted. They're not defending that back there. They're not even defending this. This is a great place. They're not even defending this right here. This has to change, and they know to get to that next step because they're not going to quit stepping. Then this has to change. I can't do things the same. So I don't just regurgitate everything I know to whatever audience will listen. I check to see, did I have the heavenly realities in my mind? Or did I have me, my old Adam self, my old habitual me, 
that thinks none of my needs are going to be met. Nobody's going to understand me. Everybody's going to discount me. Everybody's going to dumb me wrong song. Everybody's going to reject me. I'm going to be offended by I got to defend. I got to prove. I got to do. I got to, got to, I got to, got to, got to, got to, got to. That's the old Adam nature. She's dead. She only lives if I restate my habit. Every single person on the planet didn't come out of the womb walking their anointing. Every single person. It's, it's learned. But see, here's the thing. God gets to pick. Before you came and he whispered in your little pod and he sent you down to earth, he decided whether you were a temple builder or a wall builder. As far as Pam and I go, as far as one life goes, I'm a temple builder. She's a wall builder. They better not get to me. <laughs> they better not get to me. When Pam's out of her place, I know it. We had a little thing this week. It was real small. But... Pam was out of her place just for a moment, and I was looking at her going, who are you? <laughs> tired Pam. That's, it was tired Pam. It's who it was. Hot, tired, no sleep Pam. That's who it was. <laughs> it's not my Pammy, though. <laughs> Thank the Lord I wasn't building nothing that day. I was just, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> See, God intended for us to be in a family where someone can count on you. Yes. Wow. If you're on the wall, if you're an intercessor, if you're a fighter, if you got a sword in your hand, you got a hammer in your hand too. And the person that you're on the wall for better not experience the enemy. That's God's plan. I'm just telling you, I'm just helping you. I know y'all want to be wherever you think that something's got to be, but he didn't even make you that way. You would be so yucky there. You wouldn't be good there. You would be discontent. You'd be wanting to bite a head off of a snake and somebody's trying to get you to shine some gold thing. <laughs> See, some of us are so afraid to be in the position God made us to be because we're afraid we're going to miss out. Somebody told us we were going to be on the platform and we were never supposed to be. There's people in this room right now. Someone told you you were going to be on the platform. And that was never God's plan. Some of you have never dreamed of being on a platform. And God says, get up there. And see, we don't even know which we are. We see somebody doing something that looks really powerful. And we just decide, I'm going to be like that. And so what does that do? It causes us to never be in our position. We're always longing to be in another position that we have seen and decided, I think I want that. We should have more messages about, you don't want this. I mean, I love bro. He's just like, how do you do it? Because why? Because he can see. He can see all that's required. Still on Colossians, my 400 scriptures. I was going to just breeze through these first two. 
We've been on them for 20 minutes. Your crucifixion with Christ has severed the tie to this life. Wow. That's why it doesn't work anymore. Wow. You can actually do things from the old Adam nature and it won't work. And you'll be so frustrated because he actually severed it already. You know, when we moved, we don't know where any of the lights would play. I mean, how the lights work. You know, they're not where they're supposed to be. I mean, like the first day was like, is there any lights in this kitchen? I mean, you're flipping this switch. It's a vent. You're flipping this switch. It's a garbage disposal. Why is that a garbage disposal? You just don't even know. Right? That's what it's like moving into a kingdom life. You knew where all the light switch were. You knew. You knew all the triggers. Your soul was like, let me call up an ice cream. Let me call up a friend. Let me call it. It knew everything you needed. You're, and now in the kingdom, you're like, I don't even know how to get my needs met. In fact, I have friend needs. If you said that lately, get low. He's inviting you to some lowness. He's just inviting you to some lowness. He's just inviting you to be a laid down lover. Because he is all, I'm just telling you, I know you probably don't believe me, but every desire you think you have, it's him. It's not some woman. It's not some man. It's not some job. It's not some sort of money and paycheck. It's not a friend. It's not a husband. It's not a lover. It's Jesus. And everything comes after that. Because the valley of him being the only thing I need, I emerge to the, to the mountain to see everything different. And your anointing is going to only be forged that way. I wish there was some other way. I wish I could just touch you with my finger and you would be anointed. I wish that I could just do some little something that would all happen. No, it's just this way. It's just this path. And along the way, there'll be all kinds of tests to make you go back to the Adam nature. There'll be the internet. There'll be a picture. There'll be a job. There'll be a person. There'll be a vehicle. There'll be some money. There'll always be a test. Go glory in God. I mean, girls and guys, it's always those three G's. Testing you. Come back to the old Adam nature. That's where it's at. In fact... What happens when we go back to a habit that we left, we try to find other people that will actually meet the need. We actually describe it in a way that says, you need to do this for me. We have that story down pat. Have you ever thought about what your anointing needs? It's yearning to be protected. It's yearning for you to get who you are and to protect it and do it and let no one talk you out of it. You cannot talk me out of what I know I'm anointed to do. I don't care if you bash me. I don't care if you go tell a bunch of people about me. I don't care if you make fun of how I talk. I'm still going to talk. There's a power that flows through my words that goes down into the gut of what you need to be, down into the heart of what the Holy Spirit put in you and it says, I'm going to pull that thing out to the top and you're not going to be able to live from the old Adam nature anymore. You're going to be grossed out by how small you look. 
There's some scary things in verses five through eight, so we won't read those. You can read those at home because I'd lose my entire audience, but it's a bunch of junk from the old Adam nature is what it is. Look at me. You are not the old Adam nature anymore. You may be doing some habits from him. And you may be get, trying to get your needs filled through a pseudo-Adam life, but it's not who you are. You've been found by Jesus. You're not even going to be good at it anymore. You're going to stub your toe on it all the time. You're going to be doing an old Adam nature habit, and you're going to be going, yuck. How dissatisfying is this? And so he said, lay aside 9B. Lie aside your old Adam self with its masquerade and disguise. What was it disguising? Your anointing. It had to put on a mask to hang out with the people you were hanging out with. So when you looked at each other, you wouldn't scare each other. Because see, when you remove the old Adam nature, there's glory that comes off of you. And see, if I go hang around those old people, the mask wearers, and you have to put your mask on again to be in their presence. Because they might say, you're weird. They might say, why are you doing that? You need to go back to your old Adam nature. That's what fits in our circle. See, a laid down lover doesn't care. I could care less what someone from my past thinks. Do you? Do you? Do you avoid it? Are you afraid of it? I just looked at it square in the face and I just said, you did not know me. Why am I trying to get you to understand me now? Now that I've advanced into some principles of my purpose and my anointing in the kingdom and I've combined with other anointings, why would I want to even try to convince them who I am? They can't understand it. The Bible says they can't. And so then you're giving away valuable pearls to a pig swine thing, pin. You're throwing them out there going, well, let's see what they, and they trample over them. You get your feelings hurt all over again. And we go through the whole process of healing again. And then we do it again and we repeat it. We, we soar for a little while. We think we're anointed for a little while. And then we just. Test it one more time. Well, let me throw another pearl out there. Because why? You think you're the Savior? You think you need to save all those people. And you think if you just say one more thing, one more way, is it really what you're put on the planet to do or not? So we've laid aside this because this, verse 10, this is what I'm going to talk about. You've acquired a new creation life. You just acquired it. Listen, I just acquired something. This big old house. We were laughing about how normally we walk around four to 5,000 steps a day. The two days we moved, it was 18,800 steps. 8.5 miles. I think that was just from one side of the house to the other. That just makes me tired thinking about it. One more drawer, out to the car. One more drawer back, right? And then you just get there and all you do is all you have all your junk at your house, but it's not put up anywhere. It's just in a bunch of brown boxes. And everybody goes, is there a light bulb? I don't know. 
A battery? Probably not. But it's all there. It's all there somewhere. Listen, this is your new life. It's all there. You haven't unpacked nothing. You don't know where none of the lights are. You don't know, but it's all there. It's all there. It's all housed in the life of the anointed one. And guess what? You're inside him. Why would I want to do anything on my own? Why would I want to create a plan to just not experience that fear? So you've acquired this new creation life, which is continually, turn to your neighbor, say it never ends. Say it just like that. It never ends. It never ends. Continually being renewed into the likeness of the one who created you. Not into the likeness of the old Adam nature. Who taught you that Adam nature? Just ask yourself that question. Let's look back at my past and let me see who taught me the Adam nature. And who taught me the one nature? So that tells me I'm being renewed. What does re mean? You once was. Before you came to the planet. You're just trying to get in your little small human brain that I don't have to live like a human on earth. I can walk in the power of the anointing. I can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. That means no trigger. That means no fear. That means no disappointment. That means no mistake matters. Sin matters not. Listen, if sin mattered to God and he didn't make a plan, he would have made a different plan. (laughs) Why are we so hung up on what we did wrong? He knew you would do it. He knew you would do it. He knew you would do it in your immaturity. Why didn't you, people come out of the womb fully mature people? That could have been a one-day process. It could have. Childhood could have been one day. Come on. It could have. Spiritual maturity is the same way. It could have been one day. Why isn't it? Why does he get such joy out of the process of watching you make crappy mistakes, get forgiveness, live like you never sinned, and walk in the anointing like nothing can stop you? Why? Why does he enjoy that process so much? It's the plan. It's the plan he made. He enjoys it because he made it this way. Why does a flower have to lose its seed coat to produce anything? Why? The flower is always there. Listen, he enjoys the process before you even see the bud. He's just not sitting around going, I only like the flowers when they're all bright and shiny and colorful. He's like, oh, it grew a half inch today below the surface. Where the sound is resonating, saying, grow, baby, grow, grow, baby, grow, grow, baby, grow. See stuff you didn't even know down below the surface 
Before anybody knew your name, before anything happened, down here below the surface, it's growing. He's every day, he's marking. Look at that, baby. Look at that. Look at her. She just grew a little bit. She just got over that offense in two hours instead of four days. Why? Because he celebrates the growth. He loves the process of something happening in secret before you see it out in the open. Why does a flower only last for a second? Because he's more interested in the growth. We have to change the definition that he's just not looking for the flowering time. Let's just grow together. Let's, let's do something that we think is amazing and awesome. And someone comes and says, that wasn't amazing and awesome. And go, great, thanks for telling me. I want to adjust why it wasn't great and awesome to you and do it different next time. But no, we don't do that. We're like, don't tell me anything. And if we do, if I do, just barely touch it. Um, I just think maybe, and then we're offended for a month, maybe two, maybe six. Never hear back from you again. I know it's shocking. People do this to me all the time. Just happened this week. Listen, at the end of the day, I'm just trying to love on this thing in you that God wants to blossom. It's just like... It, whenever something gets pruned, why does it even get pruned? Why is there even the process? Because it has the opportunity to bud more buds. When we don't understand the way that God made us to operate in our assignment, then we get hung up on the ways that he prunes us. And we get offended at him. We get offended as, as his messenger. And see, when I become offended at being pruned, I won't be that I won't be a pruner. I'll be protecting the thing in me that someone said when it was really pruning. And so then I won't be a pruner. I'll see stuff and it'll be obvious. And I'll be like, oh, I'll go tell somebody else. Oh, did you see so and so? Why didn't you tell them? Well, I didn't want to offend them. You're protecting. What happened to you? That other person, that's on them. That's not in you, right? You've acquired this new creation life, which is continually being renewed into the likeness of the one who created you. Here's the kicker. Giving you the full revelation of God. Did you just hear that? Your new creation life that you acquired. You just inherited it. You just got it. Listen, these ancient wells, they are inheritances that were laid up for our family line. What I was born on the planet to do. And I am telling you, Cece's going to talk about this, I think. But we have to be careful that we're not trying to get God to give us something that's already been given to us because we're actually using the wrong inheritance. You know what I was going to say that I didn't, I don't know where I went, but I didn't finish it. But when in this book, she was reading this little guy in the book. They've gone to start rebuilding the temple, I think. And he wanted to build the temple. We may have told you this already before, but his relative, his grandfather, 
told him, no, you study the Torah. You study the ways of God because if we don't know the ways of God, there's nothing to do in the temple. Wow. That's why you have to know why you're on the planet. Because Cece would, she would much rather me just give her a bunch of lists of projects and say, get in there and talk to God. I don't say that, but she knows that's what I mean. <laughs> She's much more comfortable painting the wall, doing that, doing this. And of course there's times, there's balance for all things, but I'm just saying that's, she had to relearn this system because she acquired an anointing she had never seen modeled. Until she came here, she didn't realize that you could walk in an anointing that wasn't about your 401k. That wasn't about establishing for yourself, making sure you were responsible. Now, see, there's some people in the room that are not responsible. So then the message from God for you would be different. We always want to take the one that's the easiest road. This is not the easy road for her. How would you feel if God gave you a bunch of dreams that you had no idea what they meant and they keep changing? (laughs) As we mature, the message changes. That's why things take on new meanings. They were always there. I just wasn't at the maturity level I could understand it. So we withheld... Bill says it like this. He withholds a revelation because once I know the revelation, I'm responsible for it. Listen to me. All revelation of God has been given to us through Jesus. He withholds revelation from you because you're unwilling to obey it. You don't know that. So he gives it to you in a peace that you can obey. But is there more? Absolutely. Listen, this, is, this should be so exciting right now. Y'all don't act excited. I'm telling you such good news that there's just more. There's just more. And your obedience of it creates the momentum of more. God didn't suddenly go, you're so mature. I've got some more stuff for you. He's like, can you quit doing that with your old Adam nature? Because it's a habit and it's really not where I'm at. I'm way over there. And you move back over here for what reason? You just got to feeling sorry for yourself. I don't know. Find out for you. Why do you go back to the habits of the old Adam nature? I'm pretty sure it's because we've acquired something. We don't know what to do with it and we don't ask. When I begin to learn about his presence, I ask lots of questions. You know, I learned about his presence with Dreda who... It was just said of her, Dreda can really wait. So that means that there would, I, I've waited 10 hours before to get one little nugget from God. It was nothing to wait 45 minutes an hour doing nothing. Nothing. My mind can't even stay focused for 45 minutes, I didn't think. I remember when it first started happening, I would just get out my notepad. It was probably my Palm Pilot then. Nobody even knows what that is, but you do. Anybody know what a Palm Pilot is? Oh, y'all didn't act like it. And I would just have to write down everything I was thinking about because my attention span on the things of God were 10 seconds. 
Now see, I could have abandoned that ship. What would I have said? What would I have said? Well, they don't have any value. I can't even do it. We're so funny, aren't we? You've acquired a new system. You don't know how to do it. But there's not another system. There's not another way. And so we have to yield. That's what I said. We're yearning for the things of the supernatural. I read this today in, I think it was in uh, something. I got so much stuff you can't even know. It says this. um, I think it was in the voice from a story in Deuteronomy, I think. It said, spiritual insensitivity is its own punishment. That's a good word, right? It's not that the Lord doesn't want the people to be able to see and understand how His great works disclose His character and purposes. It's just that such insights are only valuable, available to those who will humbly acknowledge and obey Him in response. Spiritual perception is a special gift from God, and it isn't given to those who stubbornly resist. Instead, they are allowed to continue having eyes that don't see, ears that don't hear, and minds that don't understand. That's Deuteronomy 29.5. What was he saying? He was saying the, the natural eyes, your old Adam nature, if you will, it can't see the supernatural version. Were you ever in school? Math for me. And they were, they were introducing a concept like calculus. What is that even about? I have no need for that anywhere. But Lynn loves math, loves numbers. So see, we combined our anointings. I have the anointing to spend. No, listen, I'm saying, no, Listen, I am called to procure the things needed to build. When we first met, that was a rub for us. She's meant to figure out how to pay for it. Now, if I'm not careful, I'll outrun my own anointing in procurement. And I did when I was young. I overdrafted one time when I was 18 years old at Buchanan's grocery store. $11.37. My one and only time. Why? My anointing to procure outran my bank account. That's how we're supposed to learn. My mom made me go up to the grocery store, to the manager, and bring him $11.37 in cash and hand that to him and apologize to him. I never did that again. Let me take you to Buchanan's and apologize to the manager when your soul is out of whack. You will learn that you can walk in your anointing, but you can outrun it. You can overspend it. Wow. I feel like it just went like that. 
I wrote this about it. God isn't looking for you to be okay with how he speaks. If you have a sensitivity to having to be informed or having to understand, you're going to live in perpetual frustration. He's not asking for permission. He's not getting your pre-approval. God has a plan. He has an assignment for you. He has an anointing and provision that goes with the assignment. Period. When you live outside your assignment, you don't have his anointing or provision or favor. Will you, will you die? No, it's not fatal. <laughs> Sin's not fatal. That's not fatal. Why? Because once I've come through Jesus, the system changed. I'm no longer judged for my sin. I'm only working on reward. Oh, you don't believe me. Let's see if we can find a scripture about that. I have it, but I have so many scriptures, it might take me a while. One second, okay. Here it is, 2 Corinthians 5. I want to jump down, okay? He gave us, you know, the Holy Spirit's engagement ring, remember? He says, So whether we live or die, we make it our life's passion to live our lives pleasing to Him. That's the verse I just read over, bro. It says, For one day we will all be openly revealed before Christ on His throne. Now, if you were raised in religion... This was all about sin. So you freaked out. Really, you did. And do you remember those things, the, your imagination, how you saw these movies in heaven playing of all the actions you had ever done? And you only picked out the bad ones. Do you remember? Did anybody else do that? Anybody? Because they taught us to do that, and that's what kept us saved. So it messed up Romans 8, didn't it? There's no condemnation. Which is it? Is condemnation keeping me from sinning or not? So one day we'll, we will all be openly revealed before Christ on His throne so that each of us will be duly recompensed for our actions done in life, whether good or bad. Do you like that? This is what it says. The judgment for our sins, I've read this before, fell on Jesus on the cross. Hello? Listen, that's, that, is, that is assignment 101. If you don't realize that all your sins fell on Jesus already, we're just keeping track for our own, our own busyness. And man, it'll keep you busy. The religious spirit will keep naming it. Did you know the religious spirit is demonic? I don't know if I mentioned this to you before, but if you believe it, you will spend your life satisfying a demonic voice. It's a liar. Nothing it says is true. Your sins are not the problem. Quit trying to act like they are and quit trying to act like you need another Savior. Just believe me today and move on. 
It says they fell on the cross and the believer will never be judged for their sins. You either believe that or you don't. If you're listening to me right now and you don't believe that, you got to work on that because everything comes after that. Because then you'll be making Jesus jump through a bunch of hoops. He's like, I died already. I resurrected already. Well, Jesus, you know, I feel real bad, though. I just uh, I keep doing this habitually. Yeah. And Adam nature creates habits. That's how we lived. We thought we were getting our needs met. Adam, nature had a need. What was it? Just go back to the garden. What was the need? To be in control. We didn't want to give up that someone else was thinking about us. Someone else was loving us. Someone else had us on their mind. Someone else was providing. We thought we had to. Come on, this is just week one. This judgment or scrutinizing is for rewards. There will be different levels of reward given to believers after death. For some, there will be no reward, yet they will still be saved. Well, come on. Say, whoa. She got excited about that. She gave me the squill. That's glorious news, especially to the religious spirit. Just look at him and say, shut up. You're a big fat liar. I'm not being judged for my sins. What in the world are you coming up in here messing up my day? I'm not going to fall to that anymore. Listen, I've had it. I was raised by the religious spirit. It kept me in church all my life. It kept me so far away from God. I didn't know him. I didn't know he was love. I didn't know he was such a good father. Listen, I began to have an experience in the privacy of my own home that no one told about that when the shack came out and I saw that, I said, I've been doing that for years. I didn't even know it existed. I had this weird thing. It was the same thing when I was married. I didn't think anybody had marital problems, just me. It was the same thing. I didn't know anybody else was having this relationship with Papa till then. (laughs) Shockingly, it's all over the world. (laughs) Marriage has problems. And Papa is known all over the world to people. (laughs) See how that spirit lies and makes up this thing that we're all alone. Come on, I'm telling you, you cannot play with these demonic spirits. You got to kick them in the teeth. You got to punch them out of your life. You got to identify them. They're a repeat offender. They're not going to change. They're going to keep coming back because you're introduced to that system and it worked. And someone in your past, someone with your inheritance, someone hanging on to your little abundance of inheritance said you got to live this way. They were wrong. They were wrong. Okay, man, I'm almost done. Let me read this. So we make it our passion. It's what I read over him. We make it our passion to persuade others to turn to him. All those things I read, that is what that is why I have this assignment to make it my passion to persuade others to turn to God. And then it says, we can no longer live, verse 15, self-absorbed lives, but lives that are poured out for him. That's what a laid-down lover knows. My life is not my own. All that control is fear. 
all that trying to figure it all out. Listen, if you're going to walk in the ways of God and you're going to listen to the voice of the Spirit, there is going to be so much you do not know. He'll say, bark like a dog, and you'll be like, bark, and you don't know why. For three years. For years. He'll say, move over to this great big house, and you'll be like, oh my gosh, I'm up with anxiety. And he's like, I didn't give you that anxiety. You're right. You're right. When stuff doesn't work out, you know how weird we are? When we make a change and then it doesn't work out, it's not, it's not the old house. And then you compare it. You're like, with well, the old house, we had blank and blank and blank. That's what we do. And my old Adam nature, I had blank. I could drink all the Dr. Pepper I wanted. I could do whatever the heck I wanted, and I didn't die. It wasn't fatal. But guess what? Your supernatural eyes were blind. Your supernatural ears were deaf, and you didn't even know it. It's just the turning to Him. When I turn to Him and I say, my passion is you. My passion is why do you want me here? My passion is, what is my assignment today? Listen, he's not going to give you this big overarching assignment until you can get up and manage taking a shower. The, the age that you get to the place where you're like, I can be responsible for my own shower, my own hair, my own car, my own body, my own job. I can manage my sexual desires. I can manage my eating desires. The moment you wake up and you become able to manage what's been given to you, then he begins to mature you. We're always wanting someone else to manage us. We're always wanting someone else to look over our lives, tell us when we've done it wrong, done it right. That's a level of maturity, and that's great. That's great. But to be a laid-down lover, to walk in the reason you were put on the planet, the reason you were born, the reason God gave you assignment, it takes a whole different trajectory. You're giving up an old system that actually didn't work for you. It didn't kill you, but it would. It didn't reward you, but you didn't know it. Temporary rewards are not the same as supernatural rewards. Come on. So good. So good. Okay, do you guys have some more in you? You have some more more room? It's early. Tisa said it's early. Okay, I got, I've got some cool imagery to go with this message. Okay, so I'm going to tell you a couple of stories and paint a picture for you to help solidify the message. But one of them is that the other day I walked into Tisa's room and she was watching a show, a medical show, you know, where people work in the hospital. And I just saw this one clip and it was this really, really old man, like really old. Just picture it with me. Okay. Picture it in your mind. Like barely had any hair left, real scrawny. What hair he had was white, real super, super thin, old, old, old guy, right? He had apparently been in a coma, is what Tisa told me later. He'd been in a coma for like 10 years or something. Everybody just referred to him as the old man. And he, at this point, when I walked in, he was trying to rip off all of his electrodes because he'd come out of the coma. And he was like, I'm done with this. I want to die. So he was trying to, you know, I want to go. Like, let me go. 
And so he's struggling with the nurses and all that. Well, then he really does code, right? So he's, he's in the process of dying. Well, the nurse freaks out or the doctor, whatever she is. And so they do all make all these efforts to resuscitate him. And this, this, he's got the oxygen mask on, you know, and they've shot him full of stuff and they're pumping on his chest. And as soon as he comes to, he pulls that mask off and looks at that same doctor he's been arguing with and is like, stop saving my life. <laughs> and that is our old man. That, that is our old man. He is for some in some of some places in us. He's just in a coma. Okay, he's not quite fully. We haven't fully written him off yet and let him go. He's in a coma, but we resuscitate him when we revisit those old ways, you know. And I just I'd never heard this before, but I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, "Do you know that your old man wants to die?" Your your old man is miserable. Is saying, let me go. I was never supposed to be here in the first place. Let me die. Stop saving my life. Okay. So just, just picture that scrawny old white-haired guy saying that, pulling off the mask. Stop saving my life. He does not want to come back. He or she. Okay, so the other nugget I have, there's are just, I'm, I'm telling you about lots of my little puzzle pieces today, okay? So you may have to go back and listen to this whole thing and piece it all together more thoroughly. But, so in the dream that Tisa referenced earlier, one part of it I've been searching out for a little while now, um, as Tisa mentioned, it's the, it's the one that she gave the word to Aaron um, through, or from, however you want to say that. So in the dream, there was a correlation between Nathan 5 and Revelation 5, okay? So I woke up, and I'm like, well, i got to look up what Nathan 5 says. It's not a book in the Bible called Nathan. There's not a Nathan chapter 5 because it's not a book, okay? So I think, okay, wait, I'll look up where is Nathan mentioned in the Bible. So the first place that Nathan is mentioned in the Bible is in 2 Samuel 7. So I looked at verse 5. Okay, so it was Nathan 5. 2 Samuel 7, Nathan is a prophet and he's talking to David, right? First place he's mentioned in the Bible. And verse 5 says, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, should you be the one to build me a house in which to dwell? That's the Amplified. The voice is basically the same thing. The eternal one says, go and tell my servant David, this message is from the eternal one. Are you the person who will build a house for me to live in? Okay, now I'm just talking about the prophetic message in this scripture and in this dream, right? So what I'm realizing today is that David was experiencing what Tisa talked about today. Prior to this, David says, um, look at this. I live in a beautiful palace made of cedar, but the covenant chest of the true God rests in a tent made of curtains. And he basically goes on to say that ought not be. I want to build a temple for the covenant, for our God should have a temple. I live in this great house. He should have something better than me, right? So at first, Nathan says, go and do it. Everything in your heart does that is, you know, has on your, whatever you have on your mind, do it. Whatever you have on your heart for God, do it. But then God speaks to the, to Nathan and tells him, are you the person who will build a house for me? Okay. 
So this is where he basically goes on to say, you guys can go and read it, but in 2 Samuel 7, I would say read all the way through verse 16, okay? God goes on to say, basically, short version, I'm the one building a house for you. Are you talking about building a house for me? I'm the one building a house for you. And he goes on to say, well, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to establish your legacy. I'm going to establish the dynasty of your, your family line. I'm going to provide this for you. I'm going to provide this for you. And you will have rest in this place. And you will never face the enemies of your past again in this place. All the way through verse 16, okay? From 5 through 16. So he, here's a situation to correlate it with this message where David had what sounded like a God idea, right? Sounded like a good idea for God, but it wasn't a God idea. God didn't want David to build him a temple. We know later, of course, he asked Solomon to build the temple, right? So here is a situation. What would have happened if David had insisted on doing what he thought was appropriate for God in that point? It's exactly what Tisa talked about. What would have happened to, what if David had spent all of the treasury and then when Solomon, when Solomon's turn came around, there wasn't a treasury to build the temple. We don't know what would have happened, but David, thankfully David listened, right? Listened. But so here is a, so the correlating verse in the dream was Revelation 5, verse 5, which is the one that Tisa read that says, then one of the elders said to me, stop weeping, look. The mighty lion of Judah's tribe, the root of David, he has conquered. He is the worthy one who can open the scroll and its seven seals. So the correlation to me, this is what I'm seeing, is that in 2 Samuel 7, David is saying, this is something I want to do basically out of my own strength, and I think I should do it for God. And God's like, no, I'm the one building you a house. And that is the example that Tisa gave about us wanting to do things um, you know, out of our old man, our old nature. This, that sounded right to David in his logic from his old man, but that's not who God had made him to be. You know, there's later it says, well, you're a man of war. You're not, you aren't the man to build the temple because that's not who I made you to be. You're designed to war for me, put blood on your hands that makes you unclean to build the temple. So by design, David was not an appropriate person to build the temple, right? God, God says, no, 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 I'm doing a whole nother thing. And through that thing, my temple will be built, but I'm the one doing a thing through you. So David had to yield in that verse, right? To be revelation five. He had to be like Christ. Like she said, this verse is talking about Jesus, but just as she said to Aaron, it's true for all of us that that's us. We are resurrected in Christ. We are resurrected to be like Christ. So we are the ones who are called to be worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. That's what we're called to do. So I want to propose to you that's what David did. He said, okay, right, I will, I will heed the word of God and I will switch to be Christ-like for me. He became, being Christ-like for David was to be David, who God made him to be, right? That's who, to to be Christ-like for me is to be who God made me to be. It's, it's different. It's different than Tisa. It's different than Lenny. It's different than Aaron. Then all of us are different. So to be Christ-like. So I think that's the, the dream's message there is in, com in combination with all of this is that we've got to yield. We're yielding to be Revelation 5.5. 5. 
Okay, so now we take that, and my other nugget is, as Tisa said, I've been reading this book series, and it's just the Holy Spirit's been speaking to me through it in so many incredible ways. And um, I wanted to share this one story, one sub-story. It tells several stories in these books. I don't even want to tell you what it is because I don't want it to be a spoiler alert in case you read it someday. But so follow along in the story and just picture it with me because, you know, when you make it, when it's a personal story, it makes the, the, the times come alive a little bit more, right? You can see it. So in the story, back when, you know, the Esther and Mordecai, the story of, you know, the uh, Haman had is issued the proclamation from the king that all the Jews could be killed in Babylon, right? Well, then Esther does what she does, you know, for such a time as this. And the king can't actually, I don't know if you know, I didn't know this, but the king can't actually reverse the, the order to kill all the Jews. He just has to issue another decree that says the Jews can defend themselves. There's, so there's actually a war that took place for 24 hours between the Jews and all the Gentiles, all the Babylonians, okay, that day. So there were actually lots and lots of people who were killed. It was, it was a, a big deal. So in this, this is a fictional story, you know, based on biblical truth that I was reading. So in this story, there's a little boy, he's about 12 years old. He is he and his family are among the exiled Jews living in Babylon. Okay, so there's for generations they've lived in Babylon. Okay, so they're raising their families to be Jewish. They're teaching their sons the Torah and they're training them in all of the ways. But get this, they can't actually worship. This is pre-Jesus, right? So there is no temple for God in Babylon. So think about what the Torah was. It was all the instructions about what to do in the temple, all the rituals, all everything about serving God and, and worshiping God were about these rituals and different things that they could not do. It was their, their original assignments, according to the 12 tribes of, Le of, Jude, of Jacob, um, they couldn't do their jobs there because they're in Babylon because all of the roles were meant to be roles fulfilled surrounding and involving the temple. So they're in Babylon, so they can't do that. So what happens in this culture is that all of these people from the different tribes who know and have documented family lineage of God's people found other careers. They found other forms of livelihood, okay? So they became blacksmiths and pottery people and all these different things, scribes and all these different things. So at this point in the story, this little 12-year-old boy, his dad is a blacksmith. He loves his dad. He's been raised in the Jewish tradition. He knows the Torah. He's a son of Abraham and all of that. Well, then this war, this 24 hours of war comes along and he, he's been working alongside of his dad. He even helps make some of the swords for the battle while well, his dad is killed in the 24-hour battle. And he is heartbroken, but at least he is going to fill his dad's shoes, right? He's the oldest son. He's going to fill his dad's shoes, and he's going to work as a blacksmith because he knows that was his inheritance, to be a blacksmith like his dad in the forge that his dad had built with all the tools they had made and collected over the years. Well, his uncle, who had the authority uh, over the family, sells the forge. He sells the blacksmith shop, right? Because he, he decides that's the best way to provide for the family. 
is to sell the shop. So the little 12-year-old boy, not only is he devastated because he's lost his dad, but he's furious because his uncle sold his inheritance. That shop was supposed to be his. That was supposed to be his identity, his livelihood, his purpose, and his uncle sold it and gave it to somebody else, right? He is furious. He turns away from God. He becomes really rebellious, and he basically becomes a thief, and he separates himself from the community, the Jewish community, and he, in a roundabout way, becomes friends with all of these Babylonian thieves. And so he lives this way for a number of years. Fast forward now, he's like 27 years old, 28 years old. Ezra, at this point in the story, has, has petitioned the king to allow another group of exiled Jews to return to true worship, worship in Jerusalem, right? So he's got a caravan, and they're finally going to go because Ezra realizes we can't even, my son, his own sons can't worship. They can't fulfill the role of a priest. So no wonder there's going to be a mixture. No wonder there's going to be, be pulled in different directions. And I just want to propose to you that a timestamp on this, you know, if, if in the real big, big, big prophetic picture of what's going on in the world right now, we're living in Babylon. Okay, We're living in a world that has elevated other gods far, far, far above our Christian God. And we are surrounded and indoctrinated by Babylonian culture. And the overthrow that God is doing right now has been prophetically compared to the overthrow of Babylon. Okay? Literally. So, just saying, this is a time marker. Please find yourself in this story. Okay? So now Ezra is leading a whole caravan of people who are finally going to get to go back to Jerusalem to the temple that has been rebuilt and worship there. But he is, and he's responsible now for making sure everything's done according to the law, to God's law. And he realizes he doesn't have any Levites. So they go to this other town and they basically look for other people um, who are have the family line along the Levite tribe. And turns out the boy who's been a thief, 27 years old now, right? Who's, he's, rejected all of God and all of God's community. He is of the lineage of the Levites. And Ezra needs some Levites to guard the temple treasury because Levites were not just worshipers, but they were appointed to guard the treasury of God, to guard the temple treasury. If anybody here has heard about protecting the revelations of Jesus... That's a link to guarding the treasury of God, okay? Levites, the tribe of Levites. So, so this thief basically gets petitioned and says, hey, you want to come guard the treasury on our way? It's filled with all of this gold that's very, you know, vulnerable to the populace, to what we're, where we're going. And so his friends convince him, say yes, basically, go with them and when the time is right, we will rob the treasury and the caravan and we'll be rich for the rest of our lives. So he agrees and he goes along with Ezra and his team. Okay, this, remember this is a fictional story based on stuff that happened in real life in the Bible. But he goes along, and, but along the way, he's hearing more and more about what it means to be a Levite and he's experiencing the culture 
of God again, and his heart is starting to be turned back towards God. So the night of the, the robbery is, is set, and at the very last minute, he has a change of heart, and he turns against the thieves, and his heart turns toward God, and he, he gets a bunch of people around to protect the treasury, right? And he, he, so they fend off the thieves, they're successful, they make it all the way to Jerusalem, and now he's all in, right? And he says, well, I'm going to be trained now how to be a true Levite, even though I don't know anything, because I've, I've sectioned myself off and, and been angry at God. Well, let me just intersect, interject here that I've been reading in Genesis 49, which I think several of us in here have been reading about the tribe of Judah. Well, in Genesis 49, right after it talks about, or right before it talks about the tribe of Judah, it talks, Jacob is giving a prophetic word, who's on his deathbed, to the 12 sons who become the 12 tribes, right? Levi is one of the 12 sons. Jacob's prophetic word over him, it says, I'm not going to give you any land. Your people will be scattered. You are basically um, a, a man of anger and a man of, a man of wrath and a man of anarchy and I want nothing to do with you, and may my soul never be attached to you, basically. It's a harsh word, right? It's a harsh word. That's Levi, the origin of the Levites, okay? So there's a whole story that I can't wait to search out there, but the point is this I wanted to make. the God judged the anger in Levi. God judged the anger in Levi, but not the man, Levi. So Brian Simmons gave me a heads up in his footnotes and says, you know, that he had a natural transformation over time. Levi had a transformation, a change of heart. He was transformed and then was get given the privilege then of being the priest, right, of being the Levite. And so his lineage and the whole tribe of Levites get, became the ones who were privileged to worship God and privileged to guard his treasury and actually be in his presence. So God's story of redemption for all of us has been, has been his story from the beginning. It's like Tisa said, this was his plan all along, and it's repeated in history in all of these stories. So back to the fictional story. The, the, the boy who's now an adult, he's being trained in the temple. He's back in Jerusalem and learning to be a Levite, to serve as a priest, um, to, start to worship and to guard the, the treasury. And he learns at this point that once he actually begins to serve in that role, that he will actually get paid a wage out of the treasury to do his job. And I realized in that moment, he was planning to rob the very treasury that God had, had gathered for him to pay him for the rest of his life and serving his purpose. It was the same gold, the same money, the same riches. And so I'm, this correlates with what we're talking about today and what Tisa talked about today because he, he had to undergo the transformation, the redemption, right? The redemption process. He had to undergo that process of being the resurrected man, the man die, the resurrected man, to receive the funding that God had actually provided in his purpose. And of course, he goes on to have a happy life and all the details there, right? But this picture, the idea that God had already pre-provided for him, 
while he was doing all of that other thieving and everything, he had pre-provided the entire, from the very treasury of God, he was set up to be provided for. And so this kind of got me going yesterday when, in my time, and I was wondering, I, I had this, I was just meditating on that moment that he was in a sense about to rob from himself. If he had gone through with that robbery, he would have, he and his friends would have robbed from his own future, right? He was robbing from the treasury that God had pre-provided for his future and for his family line. And so I wondered, how often do we do that? How often do we do the same? Have our choices in life prior to aligning ourselves with our God-designed purpose essentially robbed from the treasury he pre-provided for us. I suppose this is essentially what we do when we operate in self-sufficiency, getting what we need to provide for ourselves out of our own strength, right? I said, I wrote this, how many times has he given us a seed for planting, maybe to guard, that we've eaten instead? How many times was our need in our own eyes so big that we made choices as desperate orphans to hoard for ourselves what he meant to be planted. I wonder if that man or woman was meant to be a link in a chain of introductions instead of the first sign of affection that we clung to with marriage. I wonder if that job was meant to be training instead of a career out of our own making. And from there, the Holy Spirit was just exploding this whole picture in my mind. I was like, where would we be without the redemption of Jesus? Because, of course, Jesus will redeem every single one of those. If we missed it and we ate what was meant to be planted, he will redeem every single one of those. He's that good. Just like Levi did, and the original Levi, right? He was a man of wrath, of anger. He killed. His dad wanted nothing to do with him. And God redeemed him and made him the one tribe out of 12 that got to worship him in his presence. Before Jesus. Before Jesus. We have to understand that all of the other 11 tribes had jobs to do. Had They served God 24-7, just like the like Levite, the Levites did, but they did it without being in the presence of God, without the privilege of intimate worship. They had to go through a priest. They had organized times, dedicated times of day that they could go to the temple, that they had to bring their offerings to, just all of that Old Testament stuff, right? And I realized that this picture of the Levites, I mean, there's so many teachings on this, and, and I'm not, this is a prophetic message, okay? There's a lot more that can be gained from all of this. But this picture of the, the tribe of Levites, it, it made me realize that that was a, a foreshadowing of what would we would all be a part of this tribe after Jesus, okay? As I said, the, the other 11 tribes had to spend all of their time, I mean, it was probably like 99.5% time of their time serving God, but away from him. They couldn't have intimacy with him while they served, while they worked and did their jobs, while they worked the land. The tribe of Levites didn't actually inherit any land. They were the ones who didn't inherit any land. They didn't have a field to, to work, crops to grow. God didn't give them that. In fact, he scattered them around the, around the land. 
Their inheritance was not natural. It was supernatural. It was spiritual. They received the best out of all the inheritances because they got to worship him in intimacy prior to their being intimate worship. They got to worship, be in his presence, to serve him in his presence, to be provided for out of their own, God's own treasury, right? And so I, I just started thinking, why do we then revert back to being like those other 11 tribes when we, when we have Jesus who paid the ultimate price on the cross to give us the ultimate inheritance of being in his presence, of having intimate worship with him? We get to be the temple. Jesus lives in us. We get to live our lives 24-7 in intimate worship, just like the Levites did. We don't have to worry about what to eat or drink because it's been pre-provided for us, right? I mean, that's what the word says. Don't worry about food or drink, all of that, what you wear, because I've taken care of that. Just like he took care of the Levites, we don't have to work for any of that. So we are free to serve him like the Levites did 24-7 in intimate worship in his presence. So why then do we ever, ever separate ourselves out of that man? Why do we ever step outside of that identity to do something else? It's only because we think we are on our own. It's only because of that orphan mentality where we think we have to set aside our intimacy with him in order to take care of a responsibility. Set aside our intimacy with him to go and get our needs met. We're called, he's calling us to do this, this, this transition from 2 Samuel 7 verse 5 where we try to go and build a house and God says I don't need you to build a house I'm building you a house the way your needs get met and your house gets built and the way my needs get met and my house gets built is by you being like Christ by you being the revelation 5 5 by you surrendering and being resurrected in Christ to be who I made you to be that is how his kingdom is built. That's how your own needs are met. It's not by stepping outside of that identity at any point in time. So we are called as the Levites to be 24-hour worshipers, to be in his presence 24 hours a day. So when you go to work, are you doing that out of pure worship? Are you doing that as a laid down lover? When you go to the grocery store to go shopping for your kids or to to teach your kids or whatever it is that you're doing in your day? Do you lay down your worship to go do that? Or do you do it as a laid down lover? Because we've been given the privilege, the greatest inheritance of all time to have intimate worship with him and be in his presence at every moment. Whether you're tasking, whether you're reading the Bible, it's all worship. It's all worship to him. That's what we've been called to do. And so I'll close with this, that today, after the incredibly sweet time of intimate worship with him today and, and just hearing about his love wrapping around us and a new expression of his love, when, when we kind of came to a close there, I found myself saying these words, uh, with ex expectancy of abundance, I will worship you. And he's saying, that's what I'm asking you to do. Can you go from here today, be the 24-7 worshiper and worship with expectancy of abundance? Expectancy of abundance. When you go to pay your bills, expectancy of abundance. When you go to teach your kids, expectancy of abundance. 
When you go to your home, to your job, wherever you go, can you worship in that moment as a laid down lover with an expectancy of abundance? So that's our invitation today. And that's what we're being called to today. And that's what the Holy Spirit is saying. He is pre-provided for us today. He's pre-provided us to walk out of this room today, changed forever to be 24-7 laid down lovers who live as the resurrected Christ in our own design to see his temple built, to see his kingdom built and furthered through our surrender. So Papa, I just thank you today. I thank you, Holy Spirit. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you that for all those years ago, you have pre-provided. When we didn't know what we were doing, you had pre-provided. When we didn't know what you were doing, you were laying it on someone's heart to petition the king in their life to say, provide a treasury. We want to be restored to our to our true worship. We want to no longer live in Babylon where we can't even worship because we're surrounded by a culture that is so pagan and so, so separated from you. Give us what we need so we can be restored to temple, true temple worship. Thank you for putting it on that person's heart long before we even knew what we were asking for, or what we needed. Thank you for intersecting us with those people. Thank you for bringing us to this specific point in time where we can operate as the priests, as the worshipers in your presence with the greatest inheritance, the greatest inheritance of being in your presence 24-7. So we just say thank you, and we lift our arms like little children today, and we receive what you have pre-provided. And we say we will continue this posture of just receiving like little children and listening like little children who are eager to hear your words, your leading, your instruction, Holy Spirit. And we will go out today with an expectancy of abundance in everything, in every trial, in every test, in the pretty moments, and the not-so-pretty moments. We will ex worship you in those moments with an expectancy of abundance. So we say thank you, and we love you, we love you, we love you, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com. Okay